has to score for Serbia. And Marshall has saved! Yes! Having got the goal, goes again! Oh! It's astonishing! Preview shows right on cue. There is a <laughs> ambulance. <laughs> let's start. Let's start again, G. Somebody not know how to flush the toilet after they've had a shit. Me. Well, the fucking one he is. The thing. Hello and welcome to the What the Fuck podcast in association with Viper Goalkeeping. Today sees our second instalment of our Euro 2020 preview shows. And of course, we'll be previewing the place where I live and a team that hasn't been in a major tournament for a little while, especially the men's side, Scotland. Um, first tournament since 1998 from a, a men's perspective. And we'll be assessing the squad. We'll be looking at Scotland's chances of going where no Scotland side has gone before and perhaps getting to the group stages and much, much more. Of course, I've got a What the Fork contributor, as always, Motherwell fan and a man who just hates sophology, pretty much. Uh, Scott, how are you doing? Are you all right? I'm good, mate. I'm uh, sitting on the floor, obviously, because I've been barbed from every sophology in the country. Uh, but other than that, I'm, I'm buzzing for the football. I'm looking forward to... I didn't get any tickets for Hamden, so sitting in my brand new laminate floor, watching it in the telly, will give me that sore-ass experience of sitting in the Hamden seat. So. Second of all, we've got a debutant here in the shape of Gabe Mackay from Daily Record Sports Pages. Gabe, how are you doing now? You all right, mate? Yeah, I'm all right. I've gotten over Kelly's traumatic relegation and now looking forward to Scotland's traumatic Euro 2020 campaign. To be fair, as I was saying prior, you've got Kyle Lafferty, so I feel like that kind of counteracts relegation because I love Kyle Lafferty. Kyle Lafferty is like one of my favourite people on the planet, so I think that counteracts relegation, don't you? Well, I just left today, so not really. Oh, did he? Oh, brilliant. Oh, well, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. That's a double whammy, then there we go. Fantastic. Um, before we begin, obviously, I know living with a Scotland fan and, and living in Scotland, you know, the nation's been pretty much gripped to Euro fever since David Marshall palmed away Mitrovic's penalty, but, but Scott, I'll come to you first. Long story short, uh, or short story long, how excited are you for the, the tournament? Uh, absolutely flying. Um, just, as you know, as I've said in the in what happened this week, Paul, I've, I've just moved house recently and uh, met the new neighbours today and the first thing he said to me was, like, do you like football? And I was like, I love it, mate. And he's like, what team do you support? And I was like, Mullerall. He's like, I'm Celtic. And he's like, but that doesn't matter because the Euros are on next week in Scotland and we had a chat probably for about 45 minutes just about how buzzing we are. And like, <clears throat> his missus was there and she was just looking at us like, just met this guy. And he's like, what about this guy? What about that guy? And it's just like, I'm absolutely gripped by just the fever and like, all my shirts ironed and everything ready to go and um, I just buzzing for it, buzzing. Did you manage to get any fans on tickets? I know you said before you'd be sitting on your ass <laughs> on the floor, but did you even try? Nah, I didn't bother um, because there was the whole issue with the, when they put it on sale at the wrong time and uh, a couple of my mates got tickets, so I don't know if I, I might go with them because they've booked the table, so 
I don't know, but to be honest, I, I can't be in the stadium, so uh, I'm quite happy just either in the house having a beer or at my mates or whatever, uh, and we'll watch it. So um, as long as I get to see it, I'm not really bothered where. Gabe, same question to you. Obviously, um, Scotland women reached 2019's tournament, um, but it's the first time since the men's team have been there in, geez, 23 years, I think. It's been repeated time and time again, but obviously excitement for, for it starting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I sort of have vague memories of the 98 World Cup, but I was only six at the time, I think, so I have a sort of very vague recollection of watching the Brazil game with my dad. But to all intents and purposes, this is really the first time I'll ever... I've seen Scotland in a major tournament and it's nice going into a tournament. I mean, obviously, you always enjoy the World Cups and the Euros every, you know, whenever it's on in the summer, but it feels a lot different actually having a team to cheer on and looking forward to all the games and sort of going into it, going off, like worrying about injuries and fitness and all that kind of stuff, stuff that you just usually don't bother about. You're normally just counting down the days to the tournament starts and enjoying having a lot of football on, whereas this time there's a real sort of excitement and build-up to it. I think it's quite nice how, like, like you say, we would normally be excited for a tournament anyway. You, you kind of get excited for being in it. I mean, obviously, the first tournament I remember was USA in 94, and, and England weren't even part of that. It was Republic of Ireland, I think, were the only home nation. I still enjoyed it. You still had Baggio, and you still had the hero, and, and ultimately, technically, the villain in the end with Baggio. But um, I think when, when your own team's there, it does build it a little bit extra on top. But because it's here but also not and also around the rest of Europe it's been known for a while it's going to be here obviously it's delayed by year, which kind of I think sometimes we forget about but does it change your excitement a little bit Gabe not being able to attend or, or at least have full attendances at Hamden or is it just all about seeing Scotland walk out of the major tournament? I think obviously everybody would want it to be at a full Hamden uh, and indeed a full Wembley for that um, England-Scotland game would just be I mean I think we know how good the atmosphere would be but after so long away, I think there's still the excitement. I mean, about the fan zone, obviously there'll be people in pubs and we still, obviously there are still restrictions, but we're not quite in a stage where everybody has to be in their house and you can't go to the pub. And so yeah, I think you'll still get that sort of communal feel where everybody's out supporting the team and everybody's, you know, like able to actually mix together and celebrate together and commiserate together and all that kind of stuff. So Obviously, it changes it a little bit, but I think just the fact that we're in a major tournament and the fact that it's being played in Scotland, I think it's still pretty, pretty exciting. And what about for you, Scott? Obviously, it's I'm loath to sound like the Englishman that's like, you haven't been there for 23 years, mm-hmm. but like it's frustrating, I can imagine, not being able to get tickets. But I mean, I suppose nine times out of ten, you don't go to the, the major tournaments because it involves foreign travel and so on and so forth. But does it make it a bit of a, a kick in the balls? for the fact that you, you can't go to Hamden or are you just as excited regardless? I think probably I'm, right now I'm just as excited. Maybe when it gets to next week when the game <clears throat> is approaching that kicks off and I do know something. I mean, I think I, I think I missed out on the home tickets by like one point. Oh. Um, and used to, like a few years ago, myself and my mate that I go with, we used to go home and away, so we did have more points. But when I started working in education, you're very much tied to this, the, the, the holidays that you get. And, you know, unfortunately, I, I kind of just say, right, I'm off to the Faroe Islands on a Tuesday night for a friendly. Um, I mean, you could, but the kids probably wouldn't like you for doing that. I could, no, no. And my boss, you know, I kind of need the money to pay to go there. So I kind of need true. a job. But, you know, so I, I might 
I, I don't think I won't feel jealous. I definitely won't feel jealous because you know we've t- we've chatted about this, and the folk who do have the tickets are the folk who have got the points, so they're obviously going to as many games to go. Um, I think really just excitement more at, at being there. Obviously, if it was normal circumstances, I did have enough points for a ticket for Wembley, um, but we've talked about the SFA before, um, and they'd made a an error with my pal's ticket with his points. And by the time they rectified it, the tickets were gone to the next level below. So I didn't want to buy a ticket for myself and not go with him, who I've, I've been to, you know, we've been to England, Ireland, Wales, we've been to France, we've been all over the place. I wouldn't have went without him. It just, it wouldn't have been right. But um, no, I'm just, I'm just looking forward to it. Just as, uh, as Gabe said, you know, it's a, a real proper interest. It's something really to look forward to. And I think it's probably accentuated, isn't it, by the fact that without sounding too grim, COVID hasn't left us with much excitement to do anything. Like, I mean, I'm, I've booked three cinema tickets for Saturday. I'm not buzzing cinemas are open, but we're, we're at that level of like, oh my God, I can go to the cinema. So a major tournament coming along when you've been pretty much locked inside your house for the best part of, well, well a while. Let's be honest, the freedom's been few and far between. I think that just accentuates it, doesn't it? I think obviously, and as with all tournaments, you know the games are free to air as well. They're on BBC and ITV or STV, whatever. So, you know, it, it makes it accessible for uh, for everybody, and it really does allow the nation to watch these games. Not just the Scotland games. I mean, the full tournament. You know, it, it allows the. I hate the phrase football fever, but that's essentially what it creates is like, you know, there's an excitement. People who don't like football are saying, oh, the Euros are starting next week or this is happening or, you know, I'm looking forward to this game or, you know, when, when we did the preview the other day, we, we spoke about obviously the, um, is it France, Germany and Portugal group and, you know, I quite like Germany. They're probably my team other than Scotland. But other than that, you know, it's, it's more an interest whereas everybody's going to get access to it. They're going to get to see it. And obviously we'll go into this a bit further, but I, I have a feeling that Scotland might surprise a few folk. Funny how you said football fever. It's just like reminding me of someone waking up sweating and being like, oh, have you got the COVID? No, it's football fever, mate. Um, <laughs> horrendous joke. And that's why I'm closing on 40 and have his dad jokes. Um, Gabe, obviously, I think unlike many nations, Scotland announced their Euro 2020 squad. It feels like a few weeks ago. It might not be that long ago in my memory, but it felt like it was early. And at the time of speaking, obviously, there's no injuries and no one's had to pull out or anything like that. The 26 that have been picked are going to be the 26 that are going. I think first and foremost, there probably was a few surprises, not because the players aren't rated. It was just a lot of new caps that were in there, probably helped by the injuries in some cases. But simple question for you, Gabe. Are you quite happy with the squad that Steve Clark's taken? Yeah, I, w- I would say so. I mean, uh, obviously, he's taken, I mean, you mentioned that, Catclay, he's taken Gilmore and Patterson. I don't think you can really make much of a case for them not being included. I know Gilmore's not played a huge amount, but he's getting a game for Chelsea, who are obviously the European champions. Patterson's had his ban, but he's looked very, very good when he has played for Rangers. And right back, I mean, obviously, Scott and I, I'm sure, are both big admirers of Stephen O'Donnell, but right back or right wing back is obviously a position that's been a problem for us. And I think other than that, you've obviously got McBurney's out injured, uh, Jack's out injured, and uh, who I think, I, the mayor of Norwich, Kenny McLean are out injured. So aside from that, you could maybe have made a case for Ryan Gold. I don't think Lee Griffiths has done enough this season to warrant being involved. Ollie Burke, I guess, would be the only other possible one. 
that I mean, I personally, I'm not a big big fan of Burke. I think I think he's just got pace and not much else. So, yeah, I think I think he basically picks the squad he had to go with. I mean, maybe that's why it was sort of named so early. I mean, there aren't you know, unlike England where you had all this debate over who's in, who's out. I think most of the Scotland squad essentially picked itself. The only big questions, I guess, were Patterson and do you go with Gold or do you go with Gilmore? And I think he made his mind up pretty early that he was going to go with Gilmore. So, I th- yeah, I'm pretty happy with it, I'd have to say. Same with you, Scott. Are you quite happy with the, the squad that he's picked? I'm not sure how it would have felt if it stayed at the 23, um, particularly because, you know, I, Obviously, people are going to think he's saying this because he's a Mullerall supporter, but Davy Turnbull is, you know, I think he's an excellent player. I always have. And, you know, it's got nothing to do with, you know, cards to the table. One of my favourite Scotland players is Callum McGregor, who's a Celtic player, obviously. So it's got nothing to do with, with club <clears throat> um, allegiances or anything like it. So if it had stayed at 23, I might have been a wee bit peeved, maybe that the likes of, you know, as we say, him, Patterson, and uh, the, the others who were called up, uh, Billy Gilmer didn't get in. What I also like is when you look through the squad, even if these players don't play a huge part in the tournament, because they are, you know, they're debutants in the squad, looking looking at the squad that we've got just now going forward, there's not an awful lot of aging players in the squad, i.e. players who this will be, they, they will retire after this. Maybe in goals, we, we might need to find a goalkeeper. Um, if Craig Gordon's but, still going at, at the age of 44 to be fair I could kind of believe it to be fair yeah he could be die after two years out with a, the lack of a knee apparently and then he just like regrows <laughs> his knee and comes back <laughs> so the bionic I mean, man three, you know three good keepers but thinking even for, you know the, the World Cup and then the next Euros and the next couple of tournaments we I feel like we're starting to build a core of really good players that we can develop. And I think even having those players in and around the squad just now will, will benefit us, not only for this tournament, but going forward as well. I think you touched on uh, David Turnbull before, and obviously I'll, I'll make no bones about it. I've obviously got a big Rangers bias, despite being predominantly a Sunderland fan. Um, and, and I think it's fair to say that Celtic haven't had the season you would expect but he still came out statistically the most creative player in the SPL in terms of like chance creation. I've known him about him since before he went there because um, of obviously prior people have had in the podcast and obviously known yourself, but, but how much of a role can, can Turnbull play at the tournament? I think people talked about him going and obviously he was previously uncapped, but then you see him in the game against Holland, he looked like one of your better players. So could, can he go to the tournament and make a, an actual impact rather than just, you know, going to the tournament and making sporadic appearances? I think he can. I really do. Um, the thing with David Turnbull is he, he sort of exploded onto the scene. You know, for us, like, going back to that season, we were in the sort of bottom three, four, we were having a dreadful season. And then sort of the Christmas window, we signed uh, Gaboli Araibe and Turnbull started to play, Jake Hasty started to play. We played with a lot more wing. And I think he, he scored a few goals that season. And the thing that about David Turnbull is, I think when he when he broke onto the scene, people said, "All right, he scored five goals. He needs to score ten goals." Then he scored ten goals, and Fox said he needs to make the step up. So then he went to Celtic, and at the start of the season, he wasn't getting a game. And then it was okay; he's getting sixty minutes, but now he needs to start scoring goals. And then he did. And then it was, but he needs to do more. And like you said, he's up there with the assists. So. 
for me, that it's the next natural step for him um, into the international squad. The one thing that I noticed, and I've, I've obviously watched him numerous times, but the one thing that I love about David Turnbull is how he strikes a ball. It's like if, if you watch it, somebody pointed this out to me a couple of weeks ago, and when I was watching the, the Netherlands game the other night, he, he had a shot from outside the box, and it, it wasn't too far away. He strikes the ball so sweetly. The, the ball doesn't move. It doesn't spin. It doesn't go forward or backwards or move in the air. He strikes the ball so cleanly. And, you know, when we're playing the likes of England, for example, that can be the difference. A ball breaking in the edge of the box, if you've got somebody there that can, you know, hit the target from there, you're not having to build up the play and take it in. You can do it with either foot as well, is the thing. So, you know, from either side, I think if if I was Steve Clark, and I, I know I've already said, um, I know a few folk have said I look a bit like him, which is a I was bit literally just about him. to say you could probably for, pass as Steve Clark to be <laughs> fair, Scott. I'm not sure if that's unfortunate for me or him, but uh, hey be go. a little bit be a little bit more dour, and you'll be you'll be Sam, you'll be fine. <laughs> ah, there's, there's no chance then. Um, I would play if it's a choice between Turnbull and McGregor. I would play Turnbull at the moment because I think McGregor's taking his club form into international games this season. And I think that Turnbull, although Celtic, as we say, have not had a great season, I think I think he won there. Did he win their player of the year? Did Turnbull win Celtic's player of the year? I think I won it. I think he won their young player of the year. Was the, the young player. Yes. So, you know, with the statistics that he's got, do I think he can make an impact? Absolutely. If he's given a chance. You're touching it before a little bit as well, Gabe, um, about Ryan Gold. There's been there's been a lot of discussion around it. There's seemingly a lot of people who watch a lot of Portuguese football. I can't claim to say that I necessarily do, but I think when you look at his stats and you and you look at what he's done this season, it's probably unfair uh, to say that he, he's, he's done anything but have a great season. Um, 26-man squad, I think 23-man squad, you're kind of like, you're picking between a few players, but in a 26-man squad... It seems that like it's been largely ignored, and it, it did. You've mentioned before, like it felt like he'd made his mind up pretty early. How unlucky do you think Ryan Gold is to miss out? Well, I mean, like, I'm not going to claim to be watching Portuguese football every weekend either, so I'm just sort of going by, you know, the, the clips I've seen of him playing in Portugal and the numbers, yeah. as you see. And I think he was one of, if not the most sort of productive, creative player in the Portuguese top flight, which is obviously a very good level. Um, I think, I think it just came down. I think you can have Gilmore or gold in that squad. They're not, I mean, they're not the, the same type of player, but they're both that sort of deeper, more creative player. Now, obviously, McGregor's going to be the main man for that, and then it's who's the alternative. And I think, uh, obviously, Clark's looked at it, and I guess uh, Gilmore's obviously younger, but he's obviously a guy who, if he develops as we hope he will, is going to be a guy who you'd hope to build the national team around for the future. At, you know, at, at such a young age, you could conceivably be playing for Scotland for another 10-15 years and I think it's maybe just one of those and Gold maybe suffered a little bit as well with the kind of the old out of sight out of mind sort of thing it's not like he's playing Portuguese league obviously good standard but it's not like he's playing for one of the bigger Portuguese teams a team fighting relegation it's not like he's playing in Europe and Portuguese league obviously is a is a big league but it's not the Premier League, it's not Serie A, it's not La Liga. And I think he's maybe just suffered a little bit from that. I think I think if uh, Gilmore had gone the second half of the season not playing for Chelsea, as he sort of didn't really win Tuchel first came in, then that, then you might have seen Gold 
be given the chance to impress. But I think once Gilmore started playing, I think it was sort of pretty inevitable. I think that Clark would would go for him if he if he couldn't pick both of them, basically. I think there's that element as well, isn't there, where you could look at the the squad as a whole and you could say, well, Gold's had a better season than say. I'll pick a name up that that the hat here. Um, Callum McGregor, like McGregor hasn't done well. Is he playing in a better league? Is the Portuguese league better? Yada yada and stuff like that. And you could say, you know, feasibly, um, yeah, yeah, he has. But you've got to stick with the people who got you there. I think uh, you, you really have to stick with the people that got you there. And then there was a lot of players that would probably there or thereabouts are getting in. Gilmore, Turnbull, Patterson, Gold being the ones. One of them realistically had to miss out, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. I think, I mean, you, I mean, I saw people saying, obviously, uh, at the time when Patterson was first talking about being called up, you know, there were people saying that he should be going straight in and starting. And I just think if you're the manager, you can't be doing that for a guy like Stephen O'Donnell, who's played in that role all the way through the campaign. You've got to have that core of that squad because, I mean, team spirit, obviously, is a huge thing, especially when you're going to these tournaments where you've got on a, all going to be away together for, what, a month and a half. And so, as you say, I think realistically, someone was going to have to miss out with that group because they're not just going to start suddenly bringing in loads of new players. And I think Gold's, I think he's, he's been unfortunate with the season he's had, but I mean, I think he's still only, what, 24, 25. So there's, there's still time for him. Yeah, absolutely. Tons of time for him. He's, he's certainly not a, he's certainly not even approaching 25, I think, yet. So there's, there's plenty of time for him to come in. With that, you're absolutely 100% right. Um, Scott? Gilmore, Patterson, Davy Turnbull, we've, we've all kind of explained what, why we think they're part of the squad and, and for what it's worth, I 100% agree with every one of the picks. But say it's a 23-man squad, which is a total hypothetical question and adds nothing to the conversation because it's not. But who misses out for you if it's a, a standard, normal 23-man squad and not a COVID-ridden season? And you're on mute. That's a tough one. Um I was on mute trying to think through the squad as to who. I think probably those three. If if it's a um, if it is a twenty three man squad, I think it probably is those three that that miss out. Whether it should be, I'm not, you know, a hundred percent sure. The, I think the the issue that we have is that we have good squad depth across the team. We don't really have an area, I think, where we could say, oh, yeah, do you know what? We could lose him and it wouldn't really matter because I think we have a, a good variety of different types of players who play in each position. So, you know, if you look at the centre-backs and things like that, you've got Cooper, who I really like. Um, but from watching Cooper, I think he's a different type of defender than, than Declan Gallagher, who I think is a different type of defender from Scott McKenna. So, you know, tactics are obviously going to have to be different for the... The, the different games of the, the three games but I think if it was to be 23 man I think that those three probably would miss out um, if, if you're going to press me for a name I would say if that was the case I would have had Turnbull in there over Fleck Yeah I mean based on the, the seasons that they've had people think you've been biased there with Motherwell but there's obvious reasons behind that I think Sheffield United have had a poor poor season or even I say Turnbull purely because of the the amount of game time that he's had. But even you know uh, Gilmer perhaps maybe in there instead. You know someone in that sort of forward thinking position. I would have had them in there before him. Um, I just went for Turnbull just with the 
with the season and the stats and stuff like that that he's he's got for this year. Gabe, I think it's something we haven't really touched on as yet. I think that squad was affected by injuries as well. Um, as far as I'm aware, not not many squads have had as many injuries as, as Scotland have had. I suppose that the slight benefit, Ryan Jack aside, is that most of the injuries that you've had are not to guaranteed starters, but it would be really harsh to say Kenny McLean didn't have a huge hand in, in getting you there. McBurney has his detractors, but he's, he's still a £20 million striker, which you don't have too many of it in the squad. And Ryan Jack, apart from his injury problems, has just come off the bat of a fantastic season with Rangers. Um, out of the players that I've just mentioned there, which one do you think will be the biggest miss on the on the world stage or the European stage? Sorry, I think Jack will be the biggest miss. I mean, I thought, especially in that crucial playoff game against Serbia, which obviously went to penalties because in typical Scotland fashion, we conceded a last-minute equaliser. But, I mean, people forget for the 90 minutes of that game, we were the better team. You know, we really should have won it in normal time. And I thought the way Jack and McGregor uh, played together in that game, I thought was fantastic. I mean, Scott's obviously a big fan of a Scotland shirt. I've not always been convinced by McGregor in a Scotland shirt. I'm not sure he's always yeah, as good a team where you're not going to be constantly dominating the ball. I think he's a nice player, but I think uh, for playing for Celtic and playing for Scotland, or certainly playing for Scotland against the sort of bigger nations are two different things. But I thought both he and Jack were prepared that night. And I really liked uh, McTominay playing on the sort of right at that back three in that game where he can stride out and he's got that kind of power to step into the midfield. And obviously with Jack being out, that means McCormick will have to start in midfield, especially with McLean also being out, who I think you'd say would be the the only other logical alternative for that sort of dynamic, sort of hardworking guy who, who to play in that midfield. So I think he I think he'll be the biggest miss. I mean McBurney, I think I think some of the vitriol he gets is a little bit unfair now. I don't I don't I mean I don't think he's a twenty million pound striker. Well, he obviously literally is in that they paid that for him. I don't think yeah. that, but I think I think some of the the hatred he gets is just because he looks a bit awkward. I mean, he's obviously not a bad player. And I think he does give you that option of something different. And I've sort of every game he plays, uh, he's I think he's still not scored for Scotland. Every every game he plays, I sort of back him. I kinda I kinda want him to get that get that goal because I think it would be a real weight off his shoulders. And so I was sort of before the before he got injured, I was like, no, no, he's gonna he'll score the winner against the Czechs in the first game, and I'll, we'll all have to apologise to him. But uh, sadly, sadly not for him. But yeah, I think uh, I think Jack's the the obvious miss. I mean, you saw how Rangers missed him as well when he was out, he's particularly in those, those two Slavia Prague games. Um, so I think, and I've been a sort of critic of Jack in the past, but I think over the past two seasons, he's been absolutely superb. Yeah, he's blossomed, hasn't he? I think Ryan Jack, and I think um, you're touching on how Rangers missed him as well. Absolutely. Eventually, Rangers were able to get over the line because of that. But I think Rangers are a better side with with Ryan Jack and the team, and it's as simple as that. And I think probably the same with Scotland. He's just someone who does the. He's just someone who does the. I hate him. Does the dirty work because it's such a cliche, but he does. Um, he does the simple things well, and he's he's got a bit of an eye for goal. Weirdly enough, for a more defensively minded midfielder, he's certainly chipped in with it a fair few. Um, Scott, I'll come back to you. Um, I think by the time this goes out, obviously Scotland will have played their second friendly against Luxembourg. So obviously, if anyone's listening and you've got beat off Luxembourg, ignore it. We didn't know about that. If you've hammered Luxembourg 10 or 11 nil, we didn't know about that. Um, you can't judge a tournament so much, I don't think, on a game against Luxembourg, to be honest with you, either, either way. Whereas you probably can against Holland. Um they're not the force they once were, but they're coming back and they're getting really good. It was a really great performance in Portugal. Obviously, I watched the game against the Dutch, but but what did you make of the game? 
I was I was impressed. Um, obviously, I mean, you know, like you say, you can't suggest that we're going to. Well, you can because we're Scotland and we've not been there for twenty three years. So I'll say it. With Ruby Holland, we're going to win the tournament. Right, but you, you know, you can't. Um, the spirit can't, of Greece, I think it's called, isn't it? The spirit of Greece. That's it. Absolutely. That's uh, it's coming. Um, and for me being the most pessimistic person in the world, that's you know that's pushing it. But they still had the, the players there. What, you know what will happen first? Defenders. Scotland will win the Euros, or Scotland will win a major tournament, or your sofa will turn up. Oh, Scotland will win the the World Cup, the Euros this year, the World Cup, and probably the Nations League, uh, and then I might get a delivery date for it. So, potentially, um, aye, who knows? Um, but no, I think. Uh, Holland, obviously, they do have. They still do have very good players. Um, some very pansy players, if I can say that, with the way that they were falling about and diving and, and rolling around. But you know, I, I wasn't expecting when I looked at the team, and obviously we had the sort of six or seven out um, with the, the COVID regulations and stuff. You're thinking mm, this could go either way, but we looked quite composed when we had the ball. We pressed quite high. I mean, Jack Henry. If he picked the ball up what, 25, 30 yards away, if he goes, that shows sort of how high we were pressing there. Um, obviously, that is dangerous against some teams if they've got pace, if we press too high. But, you know, again, my uncle Steve Clark will know not to, not to do that against the sort of faster players. Uh, but no, I didn't really know what to expect, but I was particularly impressed um, with the new boys who, who hadn't played before. Um, Gabe, sort of, uh, same to Scott, same question as I asked Scott, really, it was a, a really impressive performance, and lo and behold, I'm sure something will happen in the Luxembourg game to ruin this podcast, but assuming it doesn't, uh, what did you make of the, the Holland game? Yeah, I mean, like like Scott said, I mean, you don't want to get too carried away about a friendly, although he did also say that we were going to win the Euros, so, you know, you send out <laughs> messages there, but I thought it was a really encouraging performance, I mean, we can, we can talk about uh, the limitations of... Uh, the Netherlands and particularly the manager, uh, Frank de Boer, who I don't know how he still keeps getting jobs. But I thought um, I thought we were really, obviously they had a lot of the ball, but you'd expect that. And, you know, there's, there's no point trying to go up against teams like that and try and outpass them. But I thought we thought we had the better chances. I thought we were really organised, but we looked really good going forward as well. Um, we should have, should have won the game. I mean, the free kick at the end was, I mean, it was, I mean, it was a great strike from Memphis, so I don't want to take that away from him, but it was never a free kick in the first place. And nah, not at all. So, yeah, I was I was really encouraged with it. I mean, again, it's an international friendly. I mean, this is the other great thing about having qualified for a tournament, because usually international friendlies are the worst thing in the world. Where <laughs> you've got an international friendly and you're like, that was quite good, I'm quite excited about this now. <laughs> it, it is, though. I mean, I mean, obviously we had both games on because we've got a household of England and Scotland fans and. I'll not lie, I, I kind of switched off and ended up watching more like the Scotland game because, to be honest, the, the England game was like paint drying at the time, whereas the Scotland game was actually good play from both sides. But like that, that is an awful lot for Scotland because before the game, you'd probably anticipate like if we get beat 2-1 here or 2-0, it's, it's not the worst result in the world. Like your, your destiny is not necessarily going to be decided by a, a defeat against, against Holland in the Euros and, and yet here we are discussing why that might be quite important. I'll, I'll stick with you, Gabe, on this one. I think um, I'm a big fan of Lyndon Dykes. I actually really like him. Um, I think he does a really good job for Scotland. And it does seem like it's going to be him and, and Che Adams as the chosen two at the time of speaking. But I'm sure Hibs fans will be, well, if there is any Hibs fans that listen to this, which hopefully there is, 
would be saying, hang on a minute, Kevin Nisbet's just put in a great performance after came, coming on a substitute. He scored X amount of goals in this uh, Scottish Premiership. He's pushing his case for inclusion. Um, and I think he has been doing that with his club form as well. But how would you feel if he started the, the Czech Republic game ahead of, say, Lyndon Dykes or, say, Che Adams? Would, would you be okay with that? I actually would. I mean, it's one of those where when he sort of first first went to Hibs and he didn't have he didn't start he didn't start the fastest at Hibs and you kind of wondered about him and then he obviously came on to a game. But I mean, when he came on the other night against the Dutch, I mean, I thought his movement was really sharp, really intelligent. It was obviously, I mean, you could say it was a simple finish for the goal and it was a great ball in by Robertson. But the way he sort of pulled those defenders about, I thought was was really good. I mean, I'd, I'd expect Dykes to start against the Czechs, but I mean, if you look at the, the Czech team, I mean, they've got, I mean, I'm sure we'll probably maybe come on to it a little bit, but they've got a decent side, but they're pretty weak at centre-back. I mean, obviously, and they're with, obviously without Cudela for reasons we all know because he's an awful racist. And, yep. and uh, they're playing Italy as we record this podcast and uh, Thomas Callas, who would probably be the other guy who I think would have started. Uh, he's not playing that game. We don't know at the time of recording what kind of injury he's got. So you might be going into a game against the Czechs with, probably two second-choice centre-backs. And I think with what Nisbet showed, certainly against the Dutch on Wednesday night, I think he's the kind of player who could really cause them cause them a lot of problems. So I wouldn't have any problem. If he's if he's named in that starting lineup. I think he could definitely step up and do it. And that's not something I probably would have expected to be saying, certainly not um, when he was released by Partick Thistle a couple of years ago. And even probably in sort of September, October time, if you'd have said to me, when we were going into that Serbia game to qualify, we said we'll qualify and you'll be saying that you wouldn't mind Nisbet starting up front in the first game. I don't think I would have believed you, but he's, he's come on a lot and he, yeah, he really impressed me on Wednesday. Yeah, and, and you know, same. I think um, sometimes you look at players and you think, oh, they'll do all right at, say, League One level. If they ever move down south, there'll be a few bigger clubs in League One looking at them. But there's a few of uh, my Sunderland supporting friends that went, oh, what do you think that Nisbet? And I would say he's well out of our price range to begin with because we're a League One club and he's not going to come to League One. He's far better than that. Um, and, and I think, I don't know if that's a backhander compliment, but the fact that he would quite easily fit into a, a good championship side for my leg and that would take a punt on him, pay you know three or four million. And I think Rangers are sniffing around him as well. And, and let's be fair that the signings Rangers have made this season are not bad. And Celtic are sniffing around him as well. And Celtic are trying to rebuild a squad to be able to challenge Rangers. So obviously there's a reason he's got so much interest around him. And I would actually quite like to see him start as much as I really like Lyndon Dykes. I think, um, I just think, he, I think you do a good job. I honestly do. And, and I agree with what you were saying on the um, Czech Republic's defence. There was a, a boy that used to play for Sunderland at right back, Chaluska, who I think played centre-half against you in the two games against him. And I think it was the Nations League. And Shaky at the at the least at right back at centre back. I'm I'm certainly not going to tell you that he's anything to be worried about. And I think, you know, you go into the Czech Republic game and you win, you get three points. The, the optimism you might have had before the tournament gets misplaced, uh, gets replaced with like genuine optimism where you start thinking, hang on. And I think if you've got someone like Nisbet, you might only get one or two chances in, in a national game, whether you know sides are brilliant or, or relatively poor. And I think he's probably the kind of guy that would that would sniff out a chance out of nothing. So I've got to be honest and say, I would actually, if I was a Scotland fan, which I kind of am in a way, I would go for, I would go for this, but no problem whatsoever. Um, sorry, Che, but I would. Um, Scott, what about yourself? Would you be quite happy with Nisbet starting or would you prefer to go with a bit of Lyndon Dykes and a bit of Che Adams? 
No, I would not be disappointed with any combination of those three. Uh, I think what's really good is that these players have sort of come to the fore at the right time because, you know, we all know that in the past 10, 15 years or whatever, Scotland has really been crying out for a striker. So obviously we had Griffiths and then, you know, he's obviously had his, his issues both on the field and off the field, you know, and, you know, I, I, I still think that Griffiths is a, a great player and if he can get back to the form that he was on a couple of years ago, then he will be back in the squad. But I always felt, you know, looking that over the past few years, we've been building a decent squad from back to front. But then when we got to the front, you know, it was sort of, you know, you know we, we talked about Ollie McBurney and, you know, he's not going to be a prolific goal scorer for Scotland, although, uh, as, as Gabe said earlier, I, I do think we will miss him because if um, if you're 1-0 up with five minutes to go, the person you want holding the ball up in the corner is Ollie McBurney. So he does bring something else. But in terms of creating opportunities and finishing opportunities, then we've got three really good strikers who have all in some way or another, had a good season. Okay, Dykes had a wee bit of a, a sort of dry spell, maybe just uh, sort of after Christmas time, leading up to about March. But, I mean, a couple of the goals that he scored for QPR uh, towards the end of the season were, were absolute, like... I think... It was one header that he scored, and it was just, like, it was 18 yards out. As much as I've talked up in this, but I, I honestly think Lyndon Dykes just gives such a different dimension to Scotland. I think you've looked a far better side since he's been in the in, in the starting eleven. Uh, on and I've watched all the games since then. It, naturally, I haven't had a choice in this household, but um, I honestly think he's made a, a huge difference to the way you play. It reminds me a wee bit of Kenny Miller. I thought you were going to say Kevin Kyle, there and I was a bit worried. <laughs> no, no, uh, Kenny Miller, and that uh, he he can play with his back to goal and he'll, he'll yeah. step into the midfield to take the ball. You know, we've all watched Kenny Miller, we've all seen Kenny Miller for Scotland, Rangers, Celtic, whoever. And that was one of Kenny Miller's strengths was coming in, taking the ball, playing it and then getting back in. And I think that's what I like about Dykes is that he's worked great. And, you know, being a Mallorca fan, we had Stevie Robinson as our manager for four years and his, his catchphrase, you know, his... Uh, his gravestone will say you've got to do the three things well, you know, the running, the chasing, the tackling, you know, things that you don't really need any skill for, you just need to run. And I think that's what I really love about Dykes is that he's not one of these strikers that wants to be in the box and scoring goals. Obviously he does, but he's happy. Like, for example, if he's playing against England, probably the chances that he's going to be in the box are going to be few and far between. But if he's coming out and coming 25, 30 yards out a bit deeper to take the ball, he's taking pressure off, he's bringing others into play. And I think he's an all-round good player. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I really, really rate him quite highly, to be honest with you. Um, which is, you know, it's nice. Like, I, I've lived in Scotland for 10 years and a lot of the time it's been about how bad the Scotland squad is and who's worse than the other one. And we're talking here about players that are doing well. And it, it's nice for that to happen for once. It feels like there's a really good squad there, which I'm sure we'll, we'll come on to soon because I've just noticed I've got a question coming up with that, so I better hold myself back um, or mess up my own hosting job. Gabe, there was a big... You touched on them before. Uh, there's a, there was a big talking point about Scott McTominay. Injuries might change that naturally based on his position. Um, he actually didn't play too bad on the right-hand side of a, a back three, but I think he's playing in midfield for for all the four floors that they've got at the minute, Manchester United, one of the better sides in Europe. 
surely, especially with Jack uh, Ryan Jack's injury, you've, you've got to play him in midfield in the tournament, haven't you? Yeah, you definitely do. I mean, as I said, I, I quite liked him in that right centre-back role. I, quite, I, I mean, I think he's big enough and I like the way he was able to sort of step out with the ball and sort of step out and help in midfield. But with Jack out, you've got to play him in there. And I have to say, another player who's kind of surprised me because I haven't seen a lot of him when he's alone at Belgium. I've been really impressed with Jack Hendry in the last couple of games he's played. And I think he is one who's got that ability on the ball and he can sort of replace McTominay in that sort of role of being able to sort of step into the midfield if needs be. And, you know, I think if, if you look at the midfield options we've got, obviously we've, we've spoken about McGregor. McGinn is, is good, very good uh, in qualifying. Obviously, I love down at Aston Villa, who had a d- decent season in the Premier League and started very, very well and maybe tailed off a little bit, but they had a, a good Premier League season. And McTominay, as you say, OK, Man United... It's not the best Man United team you've ever seen, but they finished second in the Premier League and reached the Europa League final. So I think, you know, that for a midfield for Scotland heading into a tournament is, especially when you consider some of the some of the teams we've had since the last tournament we're at, I think that, that's a real a real positive. And uh, yeah, it's, I, I'm looking forward to see to seeing how, how that gets on. And as much as, as I said, I was impressed with McTominay at the back, I, he, you know, that his position is in midfield and I've got absolutely no qualms about him playing in there. Talking about the, the squad before, and like I said, I, I had something to come on to, and it was right on my next question, which is great. Um, I think for the first time in a long time, as I've already touched on, Scotland have a really good lineup. It's not just, I think Scotland have always had one or two good players that really stand out, kind of like Wales did with Ryan Giggs, and then all of a sudden Ramsey came out, and then Bale became Gareth Bale. You look through Scotland's team, and off the top of your head, you can pick out genuine stars, Premier League stars. Uh, Robbo's world class, you can't deny that. I think McTominay's not a million miles away from being top, top, top European level. John McGinn's had a great season and he's got terrific banter. So that kind of adds to the love that you have of, of John McGinn. And I think Kieran Cherney, as much as it goes against my better nature as a, a more Rangers-sided uh, fan, or a Rangers fan, um, is a really good player. I mean, really, really good and, and a really likeable character as well. But, but who is Scotland's key player, Gabe? Who do you think is the man that makes Scotland tick ahead of others? I think it, I think that's a difficult question because I think I mean it's going to sound a little bit cliched, but I think it is largely sort of about the collective. I mean Robertson, you'd say is he's the captain and certainly up there for one of the best left backs in the world. But it's not like you would say, you know, you looked at Wales in Euro twenty sixteen. I'm absolutely not taking anything away from the fact they reached the semi finals, but you could look at them and you'd say, look, Gareth Bale is their key man. He's the guy who, if things aren't going well, he's got that ability to just grab the game by the scruff of the neck and just win a game for them. Now, Robertson, as good as he is, I don't think he's got that sort of talisman role for Scotland. I think it is very much uh, a team with, as you've touched on, a lot a lot of good players in it, but I think it's more about how those good players function as a whole rather than the individuals. I mean, to go back to the, the Serbia game, I mean, I don't think you could pick out a player who played badly that night. And as I said, you know, you had Jack and McGregor in midfield who I thought worked together superbly. You had, I mean, you've got guys who are in the squad, for example, Stephen O'Donnell has been criticised in the past. I think you couldn't fault him for most of qualifying. I don't think he's a player that's going to let you down. You've got Lyndon Dykes, who you touched on, who in many ways, you know, I like him as a player. He's got his limitations, but you know he's going to work hard for you. He'll run all day. He'll do anything that's asked of him. 
And I think you've just got those kind of characters throughout the squad. I mean, even look at now, he didn't make the final squad. Even look at a guy like Andy Considine who came in at whatever age he is, 32, 33, wins his first cap, you know, plays in that back three, played really, really well, didn't didn't let anyone down. I think he probably never thought he'd be getting the chance to get a cap like that. Um, I, I think he thought his chance is probably gone. And he came in and did it. So I think it is very much just about the, you know, the the, the collective, which I, I think is obviously a, a big thing that I think Clark would, would be would be preaching. I think it's an absolute travesty that Andy Considine didn't go. I'm not going to lie. I just think, I know it's cliche and it's obvious, and it, you know, but we just, we talk about the squad. It's basically your anthem now and you haven't even, you haven't even taken them. I think it's, I think it's absolutely shocking that. I think that's poor form from Steve Clark, but I'm sure you'll have these reasons. Um, I mean, Steve Clark doesn't look like a man who much enjoys a boogie, so. I feel like I'm looking at him directly when I'm looking at Scott, <laughs> so I know what you mean. Um, Scott, we've, we've talked about Scotland's team and I think sometimes there can be, and it's easy for me to say from the outside looking in, but as a Sunderland fan, I understand the fear factor and the, oh God, are they going to do it again and do a do a Sunderland, do a Scotland, so to speak. Um, and you probably feel the same as a Motherwell fan and, and probably the same as a, as a Killy fan, Gabe. But there is a little bit of a fear factor that oh, are we going to get past the group stages? But let's think about all the positivity we've just had there and all the players that are in the squad, all the players that can make a difference. You've beat Czech Republic twice already in the past 12 months at least. Um, Croatia, yeah, they're a good side. Don't get me wrong. It, even I'm a bit concerned about Croatia from from an England perspective, and I'm sure many teams in that tournament will because they're they're a tournament team. Croatia, I think. Um, but in reality, Scotland to be Croatia wouldn't be the weirdest thing on the planet. Far from it, actually. So looking at the group, um, you've noticed I haven't mentioned England there, but um, it's not the toughest group. Um, but it, but it isn't the easiest, shall we say? As far as the bookies are concerned, which I was quite surprised at based on the fact that you beat Czech Republic twice, Scotland aren't the favourites to get out of it. Um, taking the Scotland hat off, if you can, which is difficult, I know. But how do you assess the group and the teams that are within it? Well, I think, it, just as you say, Graham, it's, it is a, it's a difficult group, but it's not the group of death. Like It's not Portugal, no, Germany and France and Hungary, is it? No, like no, If you're Hungary, not. you're like... No, nah, I'll just go. Yeah, it's fine. You know, I think I think the key the key game is going to be the first game. You know, if again that's a cliche. You know, if you win your first game, you've got a good chance. So obviously that's the case. We we don't know what's going to happen, but like you know, as, as I said the other day, the other day when we were doing the uh, the tournament preview, and I was sitting here with my Euro twenty twenty. Panini sticker book, checking out the uh, the records and things like that. We we do actually have a not too bad record against Croatia and against. I think um, you're unbeaten against Czech Croatia, Republic. aren't you? You're unbeaten against Croatia if I, if I believe that correctly. Yeah. I, it was either that or one, maybe one, but it was very very small. Um, you know, we certainly have had the upper hand, which Touchwood will will continue. Um, as as I said. I think if Hamden was full, then I would, and, I, and this is me taking my Scotland hat off, but if Hamden was full, I would put that hat back on and say that we would beat both of these teams at a full Hamden. Um, no questions asked. Right? I would I would go as far as to put my 50 pence on that for each game. 
that that we would win both of those games. And it's a, it gets a lot of criticism, Hamden, right? But I've been I've been to Hamden one. I've been to, I've seen Scotland one. I've seen England because of where I live. Um, and you all enter the stadium in that kind of pessimistic mood. Then you score a goal, and that's it. You, you've won the Euros. It's a, it's that kind of like attitude you have, and it is a real cauldron. Um, obviously, I've lived next to Hamden for the best part of ten years, so I've I've heard the roars, I've heard the cheers, the jeers. But when it's rocking, like I, there might be people listening to this that aren't Scotland fans and going, oh, you, whatever. But it really is a it's a different beast, isn't it? When everyone's on side, and I, and I think because we've been so starved of football and, and normality in life. If you were able to put 50,000 into that stadium, COVID safe, for the first time in 14, 15 months, you're talking an electric atmosphere here. And the same with Wembley, the same with both of those grounds. But um, I mean, Scotland fans are the best. I mean, it's a mental atmosphere, isn't it? When it's really going. So I I totally get where you're coming from with that. And I, I agree, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, obviously, I've seen as beat France at Hamden, beat Holland at Hamden. Uh, when we went 2-1 up against England in the, in the last qualifiers, you know, that was probably the loudest I've heard in a football ground. The, Scary the reaction to that was just, it was amazing. Um, so it is there, and I, I do genuinely think that, that, that it's got to give the players a lift. It's either got to give them a lift or it's got to make them think, oh shit, they're going to be waiting outside for us if we don't do something here. Either way, I'm not bothered. If it gets the reaction, um, that's that's sort of what you're after. And that said, Graham, you, you know you mentioned that you were at the uh, the Lincoln game, Sunderland Lincoln game, and was there was it twelve thousand there? Ten thousand, ten thousand, ten thousand. So yeah. ten thousand at that. And you know, as I said, a, a few of the, the others had we'd watched it on TV and. You know, 10, 12,000 is no anything to be sniffed at. You know, 12,000 roaring you on is better than um, than nothing. When you consider that, you know, teams like Mullerwell are playing in front of 3,000, 4,000 every, every week. It's three, four times that. So, you know, it might still go in our favour. If you, if, you if you can stretch the fans out correctly and, and, and talking about the, the one game I've been, that's been COVID safe and so on and so forth. It was like spread across mainly the whole of the stadium, but with a big distance, and it actually helps it travel, and it does feel like a lot more. So I'm assuming they're going to do the same. So maybe we're, maybe we're not being fair there, and, and you know Hamden should still be rocking. But um, I'm going to ask you the, the difficult question, last Gabby, and of course I'll, I'll let you have your say as well, Scott, because I, I always do because I have to. Um, I actually feel quite confident for Scotland and, and I've said many times as much as I was born in England, that's my team. I would love to see you do well because it's a place where I live. Um, it's where most of my friends are from and obviously my girlfriend is. I think Scotland can make it to the last 16. I, I genuinely think that um, you can do that and that's coming from a totally almost neutral perspective. But, but Gabe, you're going to come from a different perspective as a Scotland fan, but how realistic is it that Scotland can go where no Scottish team has gone before? I mean, it's a difficult one because, I mean, as we know, with the format of the tournament, one win can get you there. Now, you would think that, as we've touched on, that the most likely to do that would be the first game against against the Czechs. So, I mean, uh, obviously, we talked about, we did beat them twice in the Nations League, but I remember one of those was the reserve team because they had to call up a whole new squad because of COVID. They, play, they, they played better that day, to be fair, than when they had the full team, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, but weirdly uh, enough. But you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah. 
they've got they've they've got a, a good squad. I mean, you've got obviously the two boys from West Ham. Uh, obviously, there was the unpleasantness against Rangers, but they've got a lot of the Slavia Prague team in there who did really well in Europe this season. They've got Patrick Schick up front. So I think that won't be an easy game, and I think in many ways that might be that that is obviously on paper the one where you're thinking if we're going to get the three points, it's there. But that's a sort of weird one because we're we're going to have to be, I think, more on the front front foot in that one. Whereas I think it might suit us a little bit more. I mean, if you're playing Croatia, who I assume their midfield will be Kovacic, Modric, and Brozovic, you're not going to get the ball off them, so you will be able just to set off and defend. And then obviously England, you're not going to be parking the bus. It's a you know, it's a derby game, but I mean, Steve Clark has shown, I mean, throughout his career, I mean, I actually looked this up earlier, if you'll just indulge me for a second, he knows how to to get results against big teams, so I mean, he had a season at West Brom, a season and a half at West Brom, he had two wins over Liverpool, a draw with Tottenham, a draw with Arsenal, a win and a draw against Chelsea, and a win and a draw against Man United, and then, obviously, his time at Kelly went to Europe, he had uh, two wins over Celtic, two draws, four wins over Rangers, three draws. Now, obviously, there were also some defeats in there, but I think that shows you that he's a manager who knows how to set up a team to upset the odds in these kind of games. And I think that's going to be a really important thing going into the tournament because when he took the job, I was a little bit surprised because everybody who's played under Steve Clark, everybody who's worked with Steve Clark says what well, he does his best work on the training ground. And obviously, in international football, you don't really get that much time to work with the players. But now that you're in a tournament, you do have that time. And so I do have a little bit of confidence that we could get those results needed to get out of the group. Because, I mean, you know, you look at, you come up against a team like England now, there is no question that England have a better squad and more talent at their disposal than Scotland do. But, you know, is Gareth Southgate a better manager than Steve Clark? Now, I'm not sure. I mean, people might be more familiar with Gareth Southgate than I am, but I would back Steve Clark to be able to come up with a plan to at least make that game difficult for England. And then, you know, it's a home game against Scotland. Say, for example, England are playing Croatia first. Say, as it very well could do, there's a negative result there. England then come in to play Scotland, who you would hope would be well organised, well set up, looking to hit on the break. Even with a not full Wembley, if Scotland go 1-0 up in that situation, I think you'll hear the atmosphere turn, the pressure will be on and historically England haven't always done well under that pressure so I'm not going to sit here and say I think Scotland are definitely getting out of the group, I think I mean I think probably on on paper we might even be the weakest team in the group, it's certainly between Scotland and the Czech Republic I'd say, I think Scotland and the Czech Republic have largely the same issues in that there are questions defensively but there are some, some good players in there but I don't see any reason why Given that, as we know, it is possible that you could get through with one win, I don't see any reason why not. Scott, same question to yourself. Much the same. Um, I don't think we'll get relegated, so that's a good start. We'll not get relegated to like the uh, whatever tournament UEFA come up with next. That, that's, um, an, that's the next level uh, of UEFA, isn't it? Like relegation from a major tournament just to get another tournament out of it. Now, there's an idea for UEFA. Like, I want uh, I, I want royalties if you... Well, actually, that would be Scots royalties if they did that, but there you go. It's, it's, it's my royalties. Um, no, just exactly, you know, the same as, as Gabe says. I, I think that, Graham, you know, and, and the listeners who listen to, to, to What the Fuck... 
happened this week regularly know that I genuinely am the most pessimistic person ever when it comes to football. It's like, Motherwell are playing the fourth for Athletic under 14, so what do you think the score will be? I will probably win 1-0. We'll get beat, right? Um, but I don't know. I don't know if it's maybe just the, the exuberance of being at a tournament after all this time. You know, For me, personally, going to this tournament, okay, although I'm not going to be there, it vindicates the, the Costa Rica friendly a couple of years ago where it absolutely hammered it down. It was lashing it down. We got beat. We walked back. The trains were off. I couldn't get home. Um, you know, that kind of game, it vindicates the, the, the games where we've watched, where we should have won and we've come away with a draw. Um, just It's just being there. And maybe that's why I'm feeling a bit more confident. It's just because I'm just so chuffed that we're there. But we're not just there to make up the numbers. Definitely not. Um, and I do think that we can, we can get out of the groups. Hopefully, as the best third-place team is what I'm hoping for, because I've got tickets for that game at Hamden, so that's just a wee bit selfish. But, um, you know, if we come first or second, they'll not be raging. Lads, thanks so much for joining us. I know that you're going to be joining me to the rest of the uh, the tournament as well, hopefully, uh, as we preview the games, game by game, we react to the games. We'll see how positive we all are after the games uh, regarding all of our teams that we're following, but I really appreciate you following, uh, following, coming on, talking to me. Um, for those that listen, if you have enjoyed it, if it's your first time, subscribe, like, whatever. I, I don't really care if you don't, but it's nice if you do. Um if you particularly enjoyed it, like I say, share it, tell your mates to listen to it. And if you don't know how to subscribe, Scott, what do you have to do? Well, we have an issue because I don't live with my mom anymore, so we can't ask her. Uh, so you need to ask a friend to press the button. Ask for a you. pal. Yeah, just ask, ask a, a pal. pal. It'll yep. be fine. Thanks, guys. Cheers.